welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite tabletop role-playing game. We look at what worked, what didn't, we look what led to better games, as well as what didn't, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we are going to discuss why even are sorcerers. This was a topic that was voted on by the democratic will of the people of Twitter. <laughs> Uh, the democratic will of the people. Yes, that's true. It was it was voted on. Um, so, <laughs> and it was a it was not a landslide, but it was a shocking victory by why even our sorcerers. Uh, uh, so he definitely had the electoral college. It did. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we need to abolish some things. Anyway, uh, so. <laughs> Um, so, so let's, let's start by just uh, very quickly talking about spell casting in original edition and, and the basic, the various permutations of basic D and D and then also first edition. And basically uh, the reason I say that, and I lump those together is because basically spell casting occurred, at least arcane spell casting occurred in the same basic format for each of those editions. And it really went like this. It, it was a system that's often referred to as Vancean casting um, after the Jack Vance dying earth, the way that magic occurs in, in that series of books was the, it was in part the inspiration, although we could probably make that a whole episode talking about different inspirations, but I would uh, be in delighted. any case, yeah. So, I mean, but that's why it gets the Vancean name. That's where that comes from, whether it's a direct uh, link or not, uh, it is, is up for discussion. Um, I, I'm just going to say anything that has the excellent prismatic spray in it is Vancean spellcasting in my book. Okay. So there you go. Um, <laughs> episode's over. No. <laughs> um, so, so, so basically the way it works is uh, a wizard has a spell book or, or something written that they have access to. And at the beginning of the day, uh, the beginning of their work day, so to speak, they have to uh, sit down with that book, with that information, and they have to decide which spells they're going to memorize for that day. Uh, and we refer to those as prepared spells. And then um, when they cast that spell, the the force and energy of casting that spell causes it to leave their mind. It leaves their brain, and they no longer have it prepared, as it were. And that means that it's 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 often referred to as fire and forget it. Okay, so you 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 set, set that spell off, and then you no longer can cast it unless you prepared two two spells of the same type. Um, and so basically. The issue there is that means that in the morning when that wizard or other arcane caster is preparing that spell, they have to think about their day and they have to figure out, okay, what am I going to cast today? What am I going to need? Are we going to be traveling in the wilderness? Are we going to go into a dungeon? Are we going to a castle? I need to prepare my spells because the the caster only has a certain number of spells they can prepare per level, uh, per level of spell. And so they have to sort of look ahead and project themselves into the day and say, okay, well, what do I think I'm going to need? And then that's what they prepare. And if they come to a point where they were wrong and they prepared the wrong kinds of spells, well, they just prepared the wrong kinds of spells. And there's really no way to get around that unless they turn around and go rest and then, you know, wait for the next day to go do whatever the next task is. So that's fancy and casting. You get a certain number of kind of spells that you can cast. You prepare a certain number and when you cast them, they're gone. They no longer exist in your brain. If you want to cast that again, you have to prepare it the next day from your written spell materials. And there it is. 
And that's a heavy constraint. So, and, and, and basically second edition was the same way. So you're talking about, you know, from 1974 to what, 1998, 1999, 2000, almost, almost to 2000 before you get a change in that. So tell me about that change, Brandis. Well, so I'm going to turn the clock back to a book we've covered before, right? So, so in 2000, as you're pointing out, that's when we get third edition and the actual sorcerer. But I think mm-hmm. that we want to trace its its conceptual roots to a book we've covered before, Players, Options, Spells, and Magic. And we touched on this back in the uh, 12 Days of Edition Wars, which I will casually assume that all of our listeners have uh, devoured with great interest. Um, because, I mean, Sam's interesting to listen to. Um, so uh, Maybe. I think it might be you, but whatever. You know what? Uh, well, let's just say I'm right. Let's just, let's just, okay. let's just agree right. with me for now. Um, so, so you're always right. That's what makes you such a delight to listen to. Eh. All right. So, so in chapter six of uh, Player's Option, Spells and Magic, uh, we get a spell point system. And one of the things they do in the spell point system is they have two different cost structures for um, – spending your, your spell slots, your spell points on the actual spells you're going to be casting. So um, you have a, a max number of spells memorized at each level and uh, then these just obnoxiously large pools of spell points. I mean, at 20th level, 800 spell points, um, potentially up to 240 more if you're a specialist. I mean, that that's a lot of number crunching. But um, when you get to table 18 spell cost by level for wizards uh, note this is only for wizards uh, they're not extending this generous offer to well actually they do extend this generous offer to priests later on I think not important right now we're talking about wizards because sorcerers <laughs> bring out of wizards mm-hmm. um, so they've got a column of costs for fixed magic which is the Vancean style that Sam just explained, right? Uh, I know I'm going to want to cast um, Rarius Telepathic Bond tomorrow, and so I, I, I prepare it now. I, I, I lock that one in with one of my fourth level slots, and we're good. Uh, I hope it's fourth level. I'm not looking it up. Um, but there's also a column for free magic, which uh, is a bit different. So part of the part of the thing that's happening here too is you recognize that up until this point there was really no such thing as a cantrip. So there weren't really um to this point there weren't spells that were considered kind of zeroth level or or spells that you could prepare and then cast frequently. Well, so or, so there's a spell free. called cantrip, right? Mm-hmm. It's been replaced with prestidigitation because they wanted to use the word cantrip for something else. Right. But, right. Yeah. But well, I, yeah. But I'm I'm talking about. So, for example, in fifth edition, if you're if you're a D and D fifth edition player, um, spellcasting, arcane spellcasting classes get cantrips, which basically you can just cast 
all the time. You don't have to prepare it. You don't have to worry about it. It's just part of your spells that you know. And it's kind of free to cast. Um, it's relatively low level, low powered, especially once you get into higher levels and all that. But recognize that prior to third edition, there was really, or prior to the book that Brandis is talking about, there was really no set of spells that did not have constraints on how often you could cast it when you could prepare it and things like that in the core right. rules. Right. Um, so, so free magic, uh, it, it really is just any spell that's in your spell book, you can cast it with that slot if, if it's slot appropriate. So if you don't know what uh, first level spell you're going to want to cast, just lock in a free magic slot um, and try not to cry yourself to sleep over the fact that it's twice as expensive as a fixed magic slot of mm-hmm. uh, a first level. And it just stays twice the price all the way up. It's, you know, for fixed magic, 4, 6, 10, 15, 22, 30, 40, 50, mm-hmm. 60. And, and double that for, for free magic. But, I mean, wild cards, man, they're good. Right. They're, well, and uh, you know, a, a fixed spell that you don't need is really expensive. Right. And, and I guess the point I'm trying to get at, and, and you're actually helping illustrate it, is the magic system in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is extremely open compared to pretty much every other edition. Because you have spell slots, and that means that you can you have all of your spells available, basically, and you can prepare a certain number of them, but then you can use them in any of those slots, mix and match, as you choose, for the most part. Yeah. That is as open as you can get in terms of the additions that that we that we have of Dungeons and Dragons because prior to this the, the time period that we're talking about now between 1974 and 1999 or, or 1998 or 7 or whenever whenever that 2.5e book came out mm, yep you know there there really was no other other than you know some kind of optional things printed in maybe a, a dragon magazine or something there really was no way to do spell casting differently and freely, you know, this this system that Brandis is talking about actually was a much more free way of doing things because you're just, okay, I get this pool of points and I'm spending it when I need it. And that is so open and less constrained than what was there before, what was available before. Um, now, I do want to say that I did not go survey all of the Dragon magazines that preceded the 1996 release of this book. The idea that no one in Dragon magazine ever managed to get an article printed that tried something weird and different would run greatly counter to my experience of right. reading early right. year Dragons. Right. Well, I that's why I, I said, didn't survey it, yeah. so yeah. You know, feel well, free that, that, to yeah. I, I'm call sure me out there's something there. It. I don't have it like directly in my mind that there's a specific uh, issue or something. Right? I, I'm just saying, other than possibly Dragon Magazine, really in the, in the core books specifically. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. You're game, right about core books. There, no, was, no question. there was definitely no que- you know no option there. And and I would not be surprised to hear there was something in Dragon, some optional rule or some article that someone wrote that was that was a well-designed, well-thought-out you know, 
piece of game design. I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't exist. What I'm saying is in the printed books at that time, it wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that kind of tells you what's going on with the, the mechanical root of, uh, of wizards, um, of, of sorcerers, sorry, uh, where you want that freedom to use anything on a much shorter list, right? Um, now, we haven't yet gotten to the part where they get more spell castings per day, but stick with me, we'll get there. Probably, maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, another important part of what's going to go on with sorcerers is that they're going to be the first big charisma casters along with bards once bards flip over to charisma. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a really key shift between, between second and third. I don't have an antecedent for it to point to, except to say, I think they really finally got truly sick of charisma being a dump stat for all characters. (laughs) Uh, other than paladins who were stuck spending a 17 right. on it because sure. the gods are merciless in their ways. I don't, I don't know. Um, but um, I think that, uh, you know, I'm looking at this and re- remembering, all oh, right, there's no such thing as a casting stat that isn't intelligence for any kind of arcane caster. Right. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also want to mention the, uh, the, the more narrative side of what's going to go on with sorcerers. And that's, that's one of the things that really motivates the question. Why even are sorcerers, right? That's why I, I posited it for us to cover. Uh, and, and the thing is the, the narrative underpinnings of sorcerers are pretty scanty. It's much harder to point to a, a character in supporting fiction uh, and say, well, that person's a sorcerer and not a wizard. That's, that's mm-hmm. not, that's not a common like differentiation for supporting fiction to draw. Right. Uh, Whereas for example, a warlock type character, very different. Ton, oh, for sure. There's a ton of literature that would, you know, point to, Hey, this, this is a viable literature based type of, archetype character that you could put in there. Absolutely. And um, I mean, the word sorcerer doesn't mean anything different from wizard in, right. in fantasy fiction in general, mm-hmm. you know, until and unless the author says it does, there's no default meaning that's different. I'm not doing a deep etymology dive because I'm not, but um, <laughs> you know, you want to, <laughs> I, I mean, yes, obviously, <laughs> I think we can I think be pretty confident about that. Yeah. Um, what they wind up doing is saying that sorcerers have magic that is inborn and awakens in them. And so in, at least in my imagination, they wind up drawing as much on sort of the X-Men, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of a, a Bobby Drake um, kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, I cast a lot of ice spells because I'm Iceman. Or whatever I'm, right. I'm Storm, you know, mm-hmm. because I have lightning powers. I, it, it, right, like th- those characters play a bit like spellcasters a lot of the time. Um, it's just that this is D and D, so 
you can't play a pure lightning spellcaster and expect to have a very good time. Right. Um, that's not that's not a thing. Um, with some exception for fourth edition, but we'll get there. Don't don't worry. But uh, to bring this back to players' option spells and magic, I think that uh, the channeler that gets trotted out here as an alternate system for magic carries some of the narrative seed of what the sorcerer is going to be of, of that like self as wellspring of magic that um, sorcerers represent in, in third and kind of gets more explicit in fourth and then really gets driven home with an actual feature name called font of magic in fifth edition. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, right. how on the nose can you get, right? Right. Um, but in third edition, it's supposed to come from uh, dragons. They're, they're ultimately draconic in some way. And uh, then there are countless prestige classes to uh, push and pull that idea all over the place or, or replace it with something else. You know, who, who knows? Um as we continue the listing of things I did not do to prepare for <laughs> this uh, this episode, uh, go through all the prestige classes of third edition is definitely not one of them. Yeah, Just I don't say. think that's on anybody's to-do list at this point. Uh, you know, some future deep dive when we really hate ourselves. That'll be the episode that Brandis hosts on his own. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> anyway, th- that's my take on... on what Chandler's represent here mm-hmm. um, and how a lot of uh, a, a lot of what we see of the sorcerer comes from players option spells and magic um, you know some kinds of versatility in spellcasting uh, did also have you know first and second edition roots uh, they just don't have a sorcerer like feel to them in a meaningful way right um, that's not that's not a thing. You've got things like any spell. Um, well, yeah, that any spell that lets you substitute any lower level spell in that spell slot. That's fine. It isn't what the sorcerer feels like. It's more it's more of a fancy mind trick than a right than a sorcerer. Right. But unless you've got anything else, I think that brings me to everything I need to say about spells and magic for this topic. Yeah, no, I, I think it's just the the idea of that book being the kernel of what becomes the third edition sorcerer, where the first time that a sorcerer is codified into the main rules in a in a specific way like that, that is so different from a wizard. Yeah, and I mean, it was a really big revelation coming into three when we saw the sorcerer for the first time, because mm-hmm. I mean, if there's this very kind of casual air to the sorcerer, they, if you look at the character art uh, that they attach to the sorcerer, they clearly wanted this, this guy to be very kind of just go with the flow, like uh, action hero spellcaster and not maybe sort of a nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, like, if you compare the the dungeon punk of I want to say this the iconic sorcerer's name is Hennet, 
to uh, Miley. It's a very different aesthetic that they're trying to sell as iconic for the sorcerer. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't need the you know, devices and the spell books and all of this stuff that that wizards need. They also don't go hunting down new spells. They don't benefit from hunting down spells in any way, right? That's not a thing. Right. If if the spell exists, barring a, a GM restriction, they can choose to have it as a spell known once they have a, a spell slot that's high enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's no sense of rarity there. That, 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 that's not. Uh, it's not what that or, class is about. It's not right. about rare magics. Right. Um, and certainly for me, that was always one of the sort of awkward points about sorcery because I care about that in wizardry. It's a big part of what I think is fun mm-hmm. uh, is, is the search and, and the scholarly aspect of wizardry and, like the sense of, of pursuit. And so basically you've got sort of this energy projector uh, who feels much more like a very fragile superhero than uh, a D&D wizard or really uh, doesn't feel too much like um, Sparrowhawk of Earthsea or, you know, mm-hmm. certainly doesn't feel really at all like Merlin or Gandalf. Um, right. Well, when you, you know, you brought, I pulled my book out cause you brought attention to the art for, for the sorcerer. And this is a muscular humanoid. They have armor on and a billowing cape. <laughs> and God help me uh, if I know why they still have arcane spell failure, but whatever. Right. Well, they, they, they're wearing sort of um, buckles all over except for one leg where they just have regular, breeches on so i i don't uh, know sam um, do you mean they're wearing fetish gear yeah so uh hennet here is a leather boy um, that's fine that's it's, fine it's okay. I, I don't um, i don't shame yeah don't no shame. no shame no no I, um i'm just saying um you know but but this is a person who is this person depicted here is muscular athletic definitely a much more physical type focused piece of art than a wizard right uh there's no flowing robes there's no uh large arcane book there's no sort of um maybe uh narrow you know um non-fit you know like a a wizard is you know the, the sort of iconic wizard is this person has to spend so much time studying their art the magical arts, right? Arcane arts, right? That they don't have time to, you know, go work out at the gym, right? Right. Uh, so they tend to be much less physically imposing. Their physical presence is much less of a matter of importance, and so they tend to be depicted as rather bookish and uh, thin, and um, you know, even if they are muscular, they're often wearing long, flowing, heavy robes and you know whatnot. And this sorcerer is, you know, not wearing a shirt, has bulging muscles, uh, a spear, and a crossbow and armor. I, I love how the the actual class that's on the page. Deli- is zero for three and delivering of those promises. 
<laughs> right, but I'm just saying you pointed out the art. No, no, so no, no, to, no. To, to to actually, you know, discuss the art. It's very true that they were. You know, here's why I bring this up. I know it's a podcast, and you're not necessarily looking at the book with us. But the point here is they really, really wanted it to be different. This is not just oh, some other spellcaster. This is definitely something different. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, aesthetically, they just have this really cool idea, and then uh, to be kind of rude about it, they forget to deliver on it. There, there are a lot of small changes you could make that would sell that idea and would still be really safely within power balance for uh, for third edition. Especially if you start talking about the, the power creep of uh, uh, later three zero and Lord help you three five, um, <laughs> right? Like if they'd given them some mitigation for arcane spell failure, so that leather armor made sense. If they give mm-hmm. them a better hit die, give them given them a reason to use a spear. Just mm-hmm. any pick one, pick right. one. Um, but I don't think that any of that happened. Um, and so, you know, this is where I very uh, subtly pitch my idea for what a sorcerer should be. Um, everybody wants a really comfortable Gish build, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, stop fighting your own aesthetics and just make it easy for sorcerers to get to a gish build it's not that hard (laughs) you don't have to multi-class in paladin just do it in one class it's fine right no one's gonna be mad just let the sorcerer (laughs) be a a beefcake and it's fine i you know what like ladies gonna love it it's fine (laughs) i mean yeah you know the thing is like third edition was going for a semblance of balance wherein the previous editions did not purportedly have that. Right. I say purportedly because I think two E was had some things, but anyway, uh, previous to second edition specifically, the balance came from the experience progression tables. And uh, in third edition, that and we've talked about this before everyone progresses uh the same rate at least at the beginning now i know that there is a there's an issue with that because of creation of magical items and stuff like that but just on its face it looks like right everybody's supposed to progress at the same level or at the same at the same rate um and so they had to try to balance things using other elements of characters and so that's why you end up with, you know, sorcerer with, you know, uh, only proficiency in simple weapons and no armor or shield. But yet the picture has, you know, you know, he's he needs to be on like the, you know, sorcerer's calendar. Yeah. You know, um, he's a beefcake, right? So, um, you know, but that's, you know, I, I think there were some issues there because third edition was trying to have a, a balanced way to you know, produce characters that were relatively powerful, but also, 
the the DM was able to use, you know, CR values and things like that to create challenging yet fair encounters. And, you know, 3.0 really, um, at least at the beginning, at, at the core, was trying to go all in on balance, but also providing opportunities for character building. And um, that's something different from the way that, for example, first edition did it. First edition, your character building was just through playing the character. Everybody was really super weak at first level, and you could be killed by, you know, a house cat if you're a wizard because you've got so few hit points, right? And so, um, so that sort of, they were trying to reduce that effect by making it so that everybody at first level is just a tiny bit more hardy and it has a tiny bit more capability. And I really do mean tiny bit. I mean, um, you know, especially compared to fourth fourth edition, which huh, well, you, know, you yeah. create you create superheroes at first level, but um, but you still had a this sort of progression in third edition where even first and second level characters were much more able to survive and capable of doing things compared to basic D and D and first edition. But anyway, I'm getting way off track. The point of this all is that third edition is the first appearance of a true sorcerer class in the core. And yep. so let's go from there. So because the, remember what the question of the episode is, why even are sorcerers? Right. And so uh, the the gameplay model that they're offering here is uh, it's a gunboat, right? You have a phenomenal amount of ammunition because in exchange for having a, a quite small number of uh, spells known compared to what a wizard could, could hope to reach, mm-hmm. um, though a, a large number of spells known from the perspective of 5th edition, to, to be fair, sure. um, you, um, you get a lot of extra slots. You know, instead of the the wizard as a um, line at level twenty, that is four across the board, right? F- four spell slots of every level, not counting bonus slots for high intelligence, which I sure hope you have. Um, well, with sorcerers, um, that's six across the board, so not counting your youth level spells, uh, that's a very casual 50 sport, 54 spells a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? <laughs> right. I mean, uh, being able to cast six ninth level spells a day. Well, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, oh, um, <laughs> and sure. You only know three ninth level spells, but who cares? But have you seen ninth level spells? <laughs> right. So you can cast them each twice. <laughs> right. Like, does it matter? Like, right. There aren't that many of them. Three is a pretty good selection. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And they only have one other class feature, which is someone familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's otherwise, you know, you know, blank right down the line. And even in. 3.5, where they tried to get rid of the dead levels that a bunch of other classes had, uh, they didn't try to do that with your pure spellcasters because if you're getting new spells, new spell slots, new spells known on every level, then something exciting is happening, presumably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, they're otherwise so similar to wizards still 
Right. The base attack bonus and all the saves are exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. And they don't have the bonus feats that wizards get. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, I think their skills are a little different, but let's see. Oh, probably. Let's see. Uh... Hey, now, please pull out the eye bleeding chart of class <laughs> and cross class skills. Um, so, uh, sorcerer's class skills are. Oh, yeah, they get bluff. Yep, that's, craft, that's knowledge, it. profession. Yeah. But their points are two plus int times four. Yeah. Just as bad, but int isn't a good score for them anymore. So they're bad at everything. Wow. Well, that's what I was saying, though, is that their skill points are the same exact thing as a wizard. But yeah. wizard presumably is going to have a sky high intelligence. And the sorcerer is not because charisma is their main. So that's um, and you know one of the one of the things going forward that this that we're going to see change about this is just people remembering that oh yeah if we want them to be, be about charisma maybe we can give them a few more charisma skills. Uh, <laughs> diplomacy come to mind? Anyone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because. Like it looks like such a gimme now, if you're right. only familiar with fifth edition. Sure. Um, it, it it does seem really obvious. Yeah, of course you give them um, the option to take um, dece- deception, uh, persuasion, intimidation, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that apparently wasn't obvious at the time, but <laughs> it was still such a new idea, right? Right. Um, I, I mean, you could even give them th- something like disguise, right? Because I mean, For if sure. they're really they're not meant to look like a wizard, but they're an arcane caster, and if that's part of the shtick, then you give them disguise, which is a charisma-based skill. If I'm not, am I? No, uh, I'm correct. Yeah, it is key ability charisma. Yeah, I I looked at the eye bleeding chart. <laughs> you made me do it, Brandis. Damn it. <laughs> well, just go clean off your monitor and get back to me. <laughs> But but you know what I'm saying, right? Like there there were lots of opportunities there. Uh, how about use magic device? <laughs> right. No, that's right? only I for mean, rogues. That's and you know because uh, in second edition it was only for rogues. Right. But I'm just oh, saying thieves. <laughs> thieves. My bad. I'm just I'm just saying, right? Like there were some opportunities here that were definitely missed. Uh, yeah, no doubt for 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 the for the class build for sure. Um, but still, it was incredibly popular, though, right? I mean, the oh, sorcerer, yeah. incredibly popular class. I mean, certainly for my wife, it had been the class she had been hoping wizard would be all along. Like, mm-hmm. right. uh, just not having to deal with the mental load of spell prep mm-hmm. is great. I mean, congratulations, you finally got a spellcaster that's inviting to... Uh, new players or players who just don't want to engage in that level of you know, tactical and uh, preparatory play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and notably, um, they do have the exact same spell list in in third third ed. Mm-hmm. The spell list is called the Sorcerer Wizard spell list. Right. Right. There, that's not distinguished at all yet the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, uh, right? Considering considering the, the differences and similarities that we just talked about in terms of 
yeah. skills and whatnot and, and, and number of spells that you get. And certainly now we're much more into like telling the story of a class and subclass by like, customizing its spell list and pruning this and that mm-hmm. and adding this mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in hindsight, it's more surprising that it isn't much of a thing here. Um, that they aren't trying to tell a story of how sorcerers are different from wizards because they don't cast this kind of thing or they do cast this kind of thing. Do you think it's because they didn't want to go too far? Like that they were, they were introducing a new major class and they, they just really wanted it to be an alternate way to deal with magic. And so they didn't want to stray too far. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, right. because, I, I because here's that- the thing: like, I, I feel like, you know, um, it's it's almost like they were afraid of getting a backlash if they if they strayed too far, or if they made the sorcerer class so much better. Or I, I, I guess I'm not I'm not good at what I'm set, what I'm trying to ask. But no, you know, I, I think you have it right. To be honest with you, I think that they didn't want to. Um, try to really truly stretch. I think that they knew that they were upsetting a lot of apple carts in third ed. A lot of apple carts. I mean, what's base stack bonus if you're only used to second ed? And you know, the the internet wasn't the same kind of place to help people learn this new product and to draw them in. It, you know, either you were uh, waiting with bated breath and going to the school computer lab way too often like I was, or you had a life, which I assume is at least some of our listeners, um, <laughs> you know, 20 years or, ago. Or just, or just people weren't uh, on the internet as much because they just weren't. Yeah. It just wasn't as accessible and it wasn't as, I shudder to say this, but as easily understandable uh <laughs> to to a great mass of people um right you know um, we're talking about the days when you would eagerly await the delivery of your latest dragon magazine to see if your letter got published you know uh so that you could see what answer they gave in the sage yeah. advice you know yeah yeah anybody else remember magazines those were a thing anyway <laughs> We're dating ourselves <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, so, but yeah, I think that yeah. because they were changing so many things, um, they didn't they didn't sort of uh, iterate on this to to that degree, and uh, maybe more surprisingly, they continued to not do so uh, in updating sorcerers to three point five. I, I think I'm correct in saying they're the least changed of all classes. Oh, com- oh compare. Yeah, see, I don't have 3.0 uh, in front of me, but I've got 3.5 in front of me. So that's what I've actually been looking at. Same. So that's interesting uh, that it's the least, probably least changed. Does not surprise me, though, because I think they were thoughtful, you know, at the same time as saying, I think they didn't, maybe didn't want to go too far or something, but they were still being thoughtful when they first designed it. Um, and they had, I think a specific, 
some people had some specific things in mind and, um, and those things got implemented and, and, you know, to what extent they were the best they could be, I don't know. But as I said, it was an extremely popular class. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you know the the fact that there weren't a lot of um, charisma penalty races, uh, dwarves notwithstanding, uh, meant that you know playing a, a halfling or gnome sorcerer sounds pretty great, actually. Yeah, it does sound pretty good. Um, so, so what happens uh, in in fourth edition? <laughs> well, um, player's handbook two, and so that's telling right away already, right? Yeah, that it's in that the player's handbook two. It's in the player's handbook two, not the player's handbook one. Remember, fourth edition had three player's handbooks plus. Well, let me tell several- you what. When fourth edition came out, they had lost all of their fear of upsetting apple carts. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah no they, they took aim at every apple cart they could find, <laughs> and they upset it with righteous vengeance. Um, yes, and so yes, they did. And then they thumbed their nose at it <laughs> for sure. The entire roster of classes in the first player's handbook is uh, different and surprising if you're, mm-hmm. you're coming from. Um, from third head or, or second or just D and D. Um, what's a warlord by the way? Yeah. You know, yeah. um, so in the player's handbook too, uh, there's, you know, some old classes and some new classes, mm-hmm. um, just for funsies, uh, Avengers, barbarians, bards, druids, invokers, shamans, sorcerers, and wardens. well, that's uh, that's four familiar classes and four unfamiliar classes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, also, so, yeah. Remember that they also did the same thing with the races, right? Where they did not give the full. Oh yeah, sort for of sure. Typical complement of races. So in the player's handbook too, you have the Deva, the gnome, the Goliath, the half orc, and the shifter. And so yep. the gnome isn't in the first edition or in the, sorry, the PHB one either, which was the cause for lots of complaint. Oh, do you, do you remember the, 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 the ads, like the, the little video clips they did uh, right at the beginning of fourth edition where gnomes were in the monster manual, but not the player's handbook. Right. So <laughs> gnomes are monsters yes. now. Yes. What? Yes, I do remember. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so when we look at the sorcerer, <laughs> so we look at the sorcerer. Uh, the thing we're here to talk about is the sorcerer. Yes. <laughs> I came to talk about the draft. Kids, that's an Alice's Restaurant reference. Yes, <laughs> you you are also dating yourself again. <laughs> I I was not alive when that song came out, but it doesn't matter. That song is timeless. So again, again, I'm, I'm remembering the Primus sucks reference <laughs> that you threw out that no one else got understood. <laughs> that, that is, is uh, a very, very curated audience, but yes. boy, for the, the, the two or three people who got why that was funny. <laughs> yeah. I made sure it stayed in the, podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so, so right with sorcerers in, um, in fourth edition, uh, they, I mean, the, the text says the sorcerer is the arcane antithesis of the wizard. 
wielding raw, barely contained magical power, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so, okay, that's an interesting promise. Um, mm-hmm. What that means on a really practical level is that a wizard is a controller class and a sorcerer is a striker class. Uh, in fourth edition, uh, classes can be broadly broken down into uh, defender, leader, striker, controller. That's you know the people who uh, stop monsters from getting to the more lightly armored people. Um, that's then leaders are the ones who hand out most of the buffs and most of the healing. Uh, strikers uh, deliver the big hits or uh, have the accuracy uh, kicker of the Avenger, which is amazing. And also why we have advantage and disadvantage in with that. Um, and then controllers who uh, throw out the big AOEs or the uh, big debuffs that lock down enemies. Mm-hmm. So Sorcerer is a striker, and uh, that shows up in some features that are specific to each spell source. In the uh, the Player's Handbook 2, we have two sources that will sound very familiar to 5th edition folks. Uh, there's Dragon Magic and Wild Magic. Um, and so some of the features here are very similar to <laughs> features found in the the fifth ed, fifth ed player's handbook because you have draconic resilience uh, which is a, an AC kicker much like the scales that you you get um, as a draconic sorcerer um, and then you also have ways to ignore some um, damage reduction uh, for, uh, some da- energy resistance that your spells would be reduced by mm-hmm. um, and uh, then Draconic Power is your damage kicker to remind you that you are, in fact, a striker. Um, you add your Strength modifier to damage rolls because another of the, I'll say, oddities about 4th uh, edition ability score interactions that we touched on when we did ability scores mm-hmm. is that uh, most or all uh, classes and builds have a uh, primary ability score that is their uh, main attack stat and also will modify their damage primarily. But then they'll have features where uh, you need this other stat. And it doesn't need to be as high because it doesn't happen as much. So that's your, your secondary. Well, mm-hmm. Draconic Sorcerers are Charisma Primary Strength Secondary. So I, I, I want to, before we get too far into the weeds with this, I want yeah. to call your attention to the art, since we talked about the art on this. Yeah, for sure. The, the art in the fourth edition Sorcerer is in a robe. The, 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 the Sorcerer is wearing robes, uh, has long flowing hair, and is using a staff, um, and has a leather belt on. Just about the only thing that is similar between this um, this art uh, uh, in 4th in edition here and the 3rd edition art is that um, both individuals have a part of their chest showing and that has a tattoo on it. And otherwise, they do not li- look like they are necessarily the same class. That is 100% fair. 
this is showing a little bit more of the you know draconic aspect um looking at the the sort of fire effect behind him mm-hmm. seeing a draconic talon there is like that's not a stretch that's what that's just right yeah that's just the that's image. On purpose. Yeah. um whereas finding anything draconic about hennet in uh 30 and 35 is quite a stretch uh, um, yeah, I mean he has claws. He's got you know, he? I mean his his I'm he has a sort of uh, a um he has very long sharp nails on the hand that's holding the spear and he's got sort of claw-like hand in the green fireball that he is conjuring. Well, I'm wrong and I can be mocked appropriately on Twitter. <laughs> no, I mean uh, it's not um extremely obvious. Whereas in the fourth edition, you know, the, the flames and the claw are really obvious. Okay. I see what you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. He's got, he's got a kind of transformed by the magic I'm conjuring thing going on. Sort of right. Like, uh, it's, it's definitely not as I mean front of your face as as this other image over here. Yeah. Neat. All right. I mean, um, so there's there's some similarity there, but you know, yeah. Uh, and so the other um, spell source in in the fourth ed player book two is wild magic, and it's not as uh, weird. Oh, oh God, what is this chart going to do to me? Uh, as <laughs> the fifth ed one or the wild mage of the second ed tome of magic, which doesn't play like a sorcerer at all, but it plays mm-hmm. like someone with a death wish. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but we did have a wild magic sorcerer in my fourth head game. And uh, he certainly did slide the party all over the map from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes off of great heights to my infinite delight. <laughs> the, the thing about fourth edition though, that, that um, is, worth talking about is that the way that the, the powers that each class received worked, um, you know, you can recall it was on the AEDU system. So there was, um, you know, at will encounter daily and utility actions. And if you had an at will action, that quite literally meant you could use it at will on any turn, uh, yep. which was a great departure from how, third edition did its action economy for sure um but the daily effects in in particular um and encounter and utility to varying degrees do mean that now everyone plays a bit like a vancian wizard Mm -hmm. uh right and so and and also everyone plays a bit like a sorcerer because you have at will things that you can it's true. That's fair. Um, uh, and so they had to differentiate the wizard a bit more from that baseline mm-hmm. in um, in fourth ed, which they did with their spellbook feature, um, where they you know, have two different options uh, for their dailies to pick from, where everyone else like you pick it and it is picked until you trade it out when you level up. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. And so, you know, this sorcerer does ultimately play a lot more like um, a, 
a third ed wizard in some senses, but everyone does, so it doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> right. And so I, I, I'm not sure there's anything else we really need to say about fourth edition. No, I think we've got it pretty um, well covered. It's so different from all the other editions that it's kind of sitting us to the side uh, by itself. I mean, that's just the refrain of, of our whole show. Right, yes. When we get to 4th edition, now this is super different and doesn't have anything to do with what came before or after. Okay, anyway. Right, and then we get to 5th edition. Yeah. So if I open up my trusty... Okay, so starting with the art, as we now do, Mm -hmm. um, looking in D&D Beyond, I see a guy wrapped in a coil of fire that is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um he has no hair, which I sympathize with intensely. Um, he has a really bad case of pink eye. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He has <laughs> flames in his eyeballs. Uh, yeah, he, he's it. he's actually channeling Madeline Kahn. The, yes, the there you go. The flames, Khan. flames. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, we're old. Anyway. <laughs> all my cuts are deep cuts. It's for a yeah, damage bonus. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so here again, we're we're trying to hammer on the the theme of being the wellspring of magic. Um, there there isn't a ton that the um, fourth ed sorcerer can do to sort of express being the wellspring of magic in their own right, um, and so we don't necessarily see it ton of that. I mean, your only class feature is spell source. And then mm-hmm. that has a bunch of features under it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, sorcerers are more different from each other than a bunch of other classes are. And that element, you know, taken narrowly is actually quite true of 5th edition sorcerers. Um, the the core of the class has very few defining features, but the subclasses deliver a lot of the characterization mm-hmm. work. Right. Um, Which are uh, sorcerous origins. Right, the right. sorcerous origins. Um, and so we, we get into unexplained powers, uh, raw magic, kind of... Um, the problem with unexplained is that <laughs> no one's going to come along and reveal that they had the secret on the Watsi side, that's not the kind of business mm-hmm. they run here. Right. Uh, and so if your uh, DM doesn't do something with that, then there isn't a lot of story to tell about that. And not everyone cares about having the game tell a story about their class, but it's something right. I've always liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially with clerics and paladins and warlocks, uh, something is fundamentally getting lost if you're not telling a story that's about that class in some way. Right. Right. Um, And so that's harder to do with sorcerers, which again is the sort of point I was getting at with why even our sorcerers. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, at second level, they get a feature called font of magic. And uh, what font of magic does is uh, that it does two things. Um, first, gives them sorcery points at all. This is the feature where they start giving you sorcery points. Uh, you can't spend them on meta magic yet. That comes next level. 
but with just Font of Magic, you can uh, start getting more flexible with where you have your spell slots. You can spend sorcery points to make a new slot of some level at a scaling cost, at a uh, f- fairly brutal scaling cost. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can, let's say, melt down your spell slots to get more sorcery points. Right. Uh, it's lossy, right? Um, because you get a number of points equal to the, uh, to the slot level that you get rid of, mm-hmm. but it costs more than that to make that same slot again. Right. Um, even at first level, you know, because if you want to create a first level spell slot, it costs you two sorcery points. Yep. So if you melt down a third level slot, right. And you get three points, Uh you don't get three first level slots. For example, it's not a, it's not a direct point per level ratio. So the flexibility comes with a cost. Yep. It it sure does. And and so for the most part you really want to avoid doing this. Mm-hmm. Um I think the main use case you you'd have here is um uh, scrapping a lot of lower level spells to get one big higher level spell. To save everybody's butt. To save everyone's butt, right? Right. It yeah. needs to be teleport. A teleportation circle. Just mm-hmm. is, that, that's that's the kind of desperate move we're talking about here. Right. But um, what you also do see with those sorcery points is, well, those are free on top of your other spell casting. Mm-hmm. So that's actually uh, like mathematically winds up being a pretty nice parallel to um, arcane recovery. And you know, they don't get more spell slots than anyone else anymore. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's on the same spell slot progression chart right. if they're pure casters, or they're on half that, or they're on a third that. But they do get a really solid number of cantrips known. Um, not everyone starts with four and goes up to six. So that's that's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at they third level, <laughs> right, at, at third level they get what I think a lot of people treat as like the main meal of mm-hmm. the sorcerer class. Uh, the main reason you showed up today and the thing that does set them apart from other kinds of casters to maybe a greater degree, uh, which is metamagic. Sam, why don't you run us out of metamagic? So metamagic uh, effects are things that you can use to, how do I say, adjust how the spell effect occurs. So, for example, um, extended spell lets you cast a spell for a longer duration than it would normally have been cast. Or uh, subtle spell, you can spend a sorcery point and you don't have to use somatic or verbal components to cast that spell. So if you're in a tight spot, you can make that happen without bringing notice to yourself, for example. Or a uh, careful spell lets you, um, you know, protect your allies, basically. Uh, automatically succeed on a saving throw that uh, for a spell that would have otherwise affected them, probably, right? So, right. Um, you know, so you can you can take, and, and I sort of picked three kind of droll uh, examples, but, you know, you can also twin your spell, you can heighten it, you can quicken it, you can empower it, 
right? So you can roll extra damage or you can, you know, uh, have it affect more than one creature, even though it would normally only affect one creature, stuff like that. So we can get quite powerful. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the meat and potatoes of being a sorcerer, right? Because, you know, oh, well, you're just casting any old spell. No, no, no. You're using metamagic to adjust how that spell effect occurs in the game. And so you can fundamentally make a spell have a different effect. I mean, uh, you know, kind of, than what a wizard would be able to do. Right. Uh, now, don't be like me and get careful spell and sculpt spell mixed up. Because sculpt spell is the evoker feature that does something very similar, but much more decisively. Yeah, you, you miss your allies. Careful yeah. means they just they succeed on the save. But the uh, the meta magic uh, options are very cool. Um, I mean, anyone who's messed around with um, twin spell knows that it is just amazing. <laughs> uh, twinned haste is one of the best things you can do with your time as a sorcerer. It's just phenomenal. <laughs> um, people don't mostly go to sorcerers to be buff casters. Right. But Twinned Haste is amazing, and there are a lot of other ways in the game to get an effect that good. Um, uh, then Heightened Spell, I mean, imposing disadvantage on a saving throw. If it's what you need, except no substitutes, it's great. Um, empowered Spell is really nice, and it's, uh, I think, underestimated as a damage kicker for mm -hmm. big evocations. Mm -hmm. Sure. The thing about the thing about these is you have to really practice using them, right? If For you're a sorcerer, sure. For they're, sure. you they're, they're the bread and butter. They're your meat and potatoes. They're the thing that you want to do. You're not just if you're going to play a sort. It's sort of like what we were talking about with the cleric and paladin earlier, yeah. right? Like those classes lose something if you're not really playing a cleric where they're interested in seeking out the temple of their deity every time they go to a new town. And if they're not really interested in, in having some, some level of devotion to their deity in the game world, you're losing something of that cleric. You're basically playing a fighter that can cast a heal spell. I right? tend to agree. Yeah. And same with paladins, right? You can play a zealot, but you know, if you don't actually, if you're not leaning on the oath and the reason that that paladin took an oath, then you're losing something. I'm not saying you're playing it wrong. Like everybody can play the game how they want, but you you lose something. And it's the same with sorcerers. If you're going to play a sorcerer, when you get to third level and some of these metamagic things become available to you, that's when you start playing with them. You don't hold them, right? You start you start showing off, <laughs> right? In, in sure. manner speaking, because that's what a sorcerer is meant to do. And so, you know, um, once again, I'm not saying anybody's playing wrong, but I've played sorcerers before, and if you don't, if you don't get used to using the metamagic feats, then you're not really implementing the sorcerer in the manner that makes it all that different from any old caster. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um. And in 5th edition, not to interrupt you, but I'm no, going to go anyway. Um, in 5th edition, because magic is everywhere, I, I call 5th edition the magic, magic everywhere. That's uh, edition. not unfair. Almost every class 
and subclass has access to magic. And so since that's the case, you know, this is the opportunity to, to, to take in order to make that caster stand out. Yep. No, I, I look at this and, you know, we've seen some, some sort of tinkering and uh, brainstorming going on in mm-hmm. UA, right? Uh, mm-hmm. With what uh, Tasha's cauldron of everything or some future product might offer if it was popular. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was popular, maybe it wasn't. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I think a, a bunch of people were excited to see a little bit of metamagic dabbling possible for other spellcasters. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as a sorcerer, having a way to commit a feat to knowing more metamagic is pretty appealing. That's pretty right. cool. Yeah. Um, like your options are, are mighty thin. Uh, you don't learn a lot of different metamagic. And so, yeah, like, if you can't quite be happy with the number you get, the ability to buy one more is great. Uh, anyway, uh, like, there have been a good number of Sorcerer's Origins that are, are, are official releases, and mm-hmm. then there are currently two that are tagged UA in D&D Beyond. Um, I also have my own collection of Sorcerer's Origins that I highly recommend in a very humble and uh, subtle sales ploy. Um, <laughs> I think you'll get a lot out of it, uh, dear listener. Uh, you want to look for three Sorceress Origins on DriveThruRPG. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. By Brandis Stoddard. By Brandis Stoddard. So uh, let's let's round this up because we're we're pushing time now. Yeah. So so the the question that that was used to open this episode was why even are sorcerers? So so I've been talking about narrative a lot and what I want to see happen there. And so on the narrative end, I have sort of two big ideas that I really want to see someone explore and really take that deep dive on, right? And so uh, one is I want to see someone take Font of Magic and explore what that means and just really go hog wild on it as to like the Sorcerer is the Font of Magic. Maybe they can hand out buffs to other spellcasters that are near them because they are so overflowing with, you know, uh, ethereal power or whatever, or, or maybe they have better access to the ethereal and the astral because they're a font of power. What, what could that mean? Um, that could be something really cool. Um, or perhaps if they're in a setting like forgotten realms, which has the weave concept, perhaps they can pull on the weave and, use it in a way that is different from everyone else around them that is that is pulling energy from the weave to cast a spell. For sure. That could be really cool. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, it's a, it's a little too easy to say, yeah, they get metamagic. Like, what? Um, but, you know, that isn't satisfying. Uh, because, right. yeah. Um, but imagine if you're if you're playing in the Forgotten Realms and you have such... A succinct and strong connection with the weave that 
you don't cast counter spell when that uh, opposing caster is about to start their spell you feel the energy of the weave start to shift toward that caster as they're trying to cast the spell and you just pull the weave so that that caster no longer has access to the magic and thereby you have basically cast a counter spell sure like that, that could, that's really good like, description for mm-hmm. how the whole thing works and like enriching description is a really good angle for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to, I try to go for the narrative more often than not, because that's what's going to set people, people who aren't designers who aren't just going to sit down and write a, a new subclass or a new sorcerer's origin. Yeah, for sure. Can rely on narrative. So the other angle that I want to see someone really go deep on is so a lot of these origins are described as being maybe bloodlines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So someone in setting knows that, and they go all Bene Gesserit with it. Mm. Yeah. So like, if you know that you know, here's a group of people whose lines tend to like uh, give birth to draconic sorcerers, mm-hmm. like, what do I get? what happens if I turn that into like a eugenics project? That's horrible. This is a bad guy thing, Sure, but it's an interesting storyline to tell about sorcery. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what does it mean to be a a wild mage or or, um, what wild magic sorcerer? What, what does that feel like in the setting? Why is that different? What does that mean for other casters who are around them? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so on through all of them. Right, like um, a, a storm sorcerer. Well, it, it, is is the storm in their bloodline somehow? Is that something that gets passed on? Like they're not going to make rules about that because D and D is not primarily a generational game. Right. But um, you know, what if? Uh, and I was actually thinking about this today while listening to your show, Sam. D and D brief. Uh, your uh, the storm sorcerer. Um, and the uh, Tempest Cleric in, in D&D Brief had me thinking about, well, it's it's such a cliche to say uh, there's a storm coming and not mean a, a literal storm in the sky, mm-hmm. but to mean a time of great you know turbulence and change. Right. And what if storm sorcerers are only born as heralds of that time of tribulation? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. What would that mean mm-hmm. in the setting if right. you go twenty generations with no storm sorcerers, but people know that when storm sorcerers start getting born, uh, stuff's gonna get real. You know, that could be really cool. And if more than one of them is born and starts to come of age and and uh, start presenting with this uncontrollable power at first. Is there, you know, who who is the real prophet? Which one of them is the actual portent to the storm? And can they tell what the storm is yeah. that is coming? Like, and yeah. which one do you listen to? Is there a is there a family lineage that is has been shown to be more accurate? And what if the PC was born from the lesser lineage, yeah. so to speak? Right. Well, and, well, then obviously, what you have to do is uh, you have to go fight the other one to be allowed to advance to. 13th level 
Right. Right. Because there can only be one. There can only be yes. one. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, and, and in, in in fairness, when you cut their head off, there would be a massive explosion of lightning. That oh, does right. track. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, folks. That's two references in one. Two for the price yes. of one. That's the kind of night we're having. <laughs> Well, what are your final thoughts, sir? Um, my, my final thoughts are that I do want to see a setting that decides is, that it has more to say about sorcerers mm-hmm. than we've seen so far. Uh, I'm really excited about everything coming in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that there. I think that the UA that showed us things about sorcerers was promising. Uh, I don't know what was popular enough to make it into Tasha's, and I, I'm just excited. Um, I do think that uh, DMs owe it to themselves and their players to put in the work to tell stories about sorcery that are different from stories about wizardry and bardic magic and so on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the development of the class over time is um, interesting in how much 5th uh, edition is a, a direct blending of 3rd and 4th. It very much has the, the sorcerer's origins of 4th with mm-hmm. mechanics that are only marginally distinguishable from 3rd. Now right. that everyone's spontaneous casting, mm-hmm. you know, sorcerers mm-hmm. had to be different. And right. so... Meta magic. Uh, I think we didn't touch on the fact that sorcerers used to be really bad at meta magic in third ed. They mm-hmm. were slower at it than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, because they could apply it on the fly. Well, now they're the only ones who get it. So mm-hmm. that's sort of an interesting reversal. Yeah, it's an interesting give. Um, but it does make sense given that everyone else also now can cast basically spontaneously. No, I, right? I absolutely think it makes sense. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was, it's interesting that they they switched the magic system to the slot system with basic spontaneous casting, because that's the thing that was so popular about the Sorcerer in 3rd edition. Yep. Right? And so what they did was they transformed it and brought it to 5th edition, and they melded 4th edition and 3rd edition together, and they brought the best part that was most well-loved about the 3rd edition and they brought some of the 4th edition origin type stuff and put it in 5th edition while still maintaining some type of difference, right? Yeah. Um, from the wizard, which they you know, also, of course, brought into 5th edition. I mean, I definitely feel like they, they looked around and said, wow, this is a lot more newbie-friendly. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be this newbie-friendly. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, we can actually just do that. Yeah. Cool, 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 yeah. cool, cool. All right, well, I think that's a great ending. So, yeah, man. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Brenda Stoddard. I also write for tribality.com. Uh, my own blog is brendastoddard.com, and I have a Patreon that is Brenda Stoddard. How about you, Sam? I can be found on Twitter at DM Samuel, and I can be found online at rpgmusings.com. And I am all over the Tome Show, and where else am I? D&D Brief? Um, yeah. So, there we go. I think that'll take us out of here. Yep. Wear a mask. Wear your masks. Black Lives Matter. That's right. Black Lives Matter. Wear a mask. Trans rights. Trans rights. 
women's rights or human rights. For God's sake, vote. Yes, please vote.